0: Well, if you would open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, that will be our portion today. Not the Gospel of John where we've been, but a little further to the right, almost to the end of your Bible. If you find the book of Revelation, back up a little bit. You'll find 1 John, go to chapter 5. Uh, Twofold introduction, one short and sweet. Uh, My voice is uh, struggling today, so you may get a divinely appointed abbreviated sermon, uh, more so than I intend, but... um, We'll trust the Lord for, for grace to say what he intends to be said. The second introduction is I do want to say a special, personal, not only pastoral, just personal thanks to all the parents who sent your children this past week to our TCT youth camp, also to all who prayed, also to all the adults who so fabulously served our church has an embarrassment of riches there are happy-hearted jesus-loving saints in our fellowship who just look for work they don't have to be prodded and poked they just look for work in ways to serve christ in his kingdom especially in and through the names and faces of this church serving one another as a means of serving the lord that is just a true truly a thing of beauty I'm also thankful for the students who took part this past week And what I do trust, as Pastor Brian said at the beginning, the, the Lord is doing in your heart in terms of a good work, and I, I want you to give generous cooperation to the Holy Spirit. Ask him not to let those things be quickly forgotten. The Lord did bless the week in so many ways, and we did walk through the book of 1 John from chapter 1 through chapter 5. We did that in preaching sessions, about eight to 10 of those. We did that in small group discussions and we did that in personal devotion. So those who took part in the camp, both students and adults, will be a gigantic step ahead of the rest of us for today's sermon text, 1 John 5, 1 through 12. Why are we taking a break from the Gospel of John? Why are we in 1 John today? Well, the answer for those who don't already know is because this is the second of two Special sermon focuses in June. The first was last Sunday, our brother Sean Abram from Hebrews 12, to kick off again our summer of spreading. Every year we try to have a twofold focus and we hope the line is perforated and both things are always happening. But in the school semesters to see Christ and in the summers to show Christ. And this is the beginning of the summer, and we want to be reminded that it is God's assignment to every Christian to be a witness to Christ, period. So this sermon is the second of those two, and for those of you who don't already know and those who are listening in today because traffic was tough and um, sicknesses abound, for those of you who don't already know, we have a multitude of B-minus maybe occasionally reaching a d plus idea of ways to engage together in evangelism we put zero hope in our strategies all hope in the gospel but we're doing congregational intercession we just prayed for a host of unbelievers to be saved well i could do that in my prayer closet you could do that in your prayer closet and we should but when we come together as a congregation and together seek the face of the lord it amplifies our voice in the throne room so Congregational intercession every Sunday, June, July, and August. If you have yet to submit the name of a person for whom you are burdened, would you just right now ask God to bring to your mind the name of somebody who, apart from the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit, will perish in hell? Ask God to bring them to your mind because we're all called to be, as Jim said earlier, sent. So congregational intercession... We're going to reprint our evangelistic guide at the beginning of July and again at the beginning of August. There are copies on the table to guide us to pray weekly with each other for our lost friends and family. The reason we're going to reprint, reprint that in July and August is twofold. Number one, we're trusting that God's going to hear our prayer and save some of those people. Therefore, their names should be removed. Number two, give you an opportunity to add names, even if you've already done so, and especially if you've not yet done so. We're also doing things that you heard about in our prayer time, like our TCT camp, hosting for holiness, backyard Bible clubs, grilling gospel. I could say other things. The strategies are manifold to encourage us to share the gospel. And I keep thinking of new ones. Those of you who know me beyond just hearing me preach on Sunday, know that I'm an idea bucket. They're usually bad ones. But one of the things that hit me this morning, I was like, oh, that might be a halfway good one. So I'm going to say it in my introduction unless you tell me not to, Lord. So here we are. I wonder with no strategy, no sign up, no registration, no plan, no realm post. If you would just ask God. One Sunday, June, July or August, after church in this hot Memphis weather. Would you just give me the courage to walk and pray the streets of Uptown for about 30 minutes after church? And if I see somebody to share Christ with them, that'd be awesome. Invite them to come to church the next Sunday. There's another strategy. You can come up with a lot of them, too. Not only do I keep thinking of new strategies. I'm reminded that our means of cultivating various pathways to encourage every member to share the gospel, especially over the next three months, to stimulate us to do that all the time, not only in that isolated window of time. Though our pathways are manifold, our call from God is singular and simple. Lots of ways, one aim, although you may not choose to engage in any of our less than impressive ideas, and that is okay. That is between you and the Lord. The Lord has called you and every believer in Jesus to open our mouth and to winsomely, lovingly, clearly, and with a broken heart full of prayer, with dependence on the Holy Spirit, tell the gospel to lost people. That's God's call. Whether you do our strategies or not, that's what he wants. You and I to do not only is evangelism essential for lost people to be saved. So if it's not too hard, too hot, and that doesn't sound too preachy, let me say it again. Not only is evangelism essential for lost people to be saved. Romans 10 is crystal clear. Nobody will get saved unless somebody tells them the gospel. It is also a means of great growth for the Christian do you want to know why many Christians stall out in their growth in Christ? They stop telling other people about Jesus. Do you want to grow more in the Lord? I dare you to tell somebody else about Him. You cannot outgive God. You're not made to be a sponge. You're made to be a pipeline, a conduit through which His grace flows into the lives of other people. And if you will try to make others happy in Jesus, that's what I mean by telling the gospel—not bludgeon them. Make them happy in Jesus. Get under them. Help them see the face of Christ. I guarantee you, on the authority of God's word, you will grow in your faith. That's part of the reason we have this focus every summer. Lost people are headed to hell, and we need to not stagnate and get lukewarm and backslidden and become basically a holy huddle or a Christian country club. God has work for you to do in his kingdom. And he intends for you not to be a self-centered church consumer. He intends for you to join him. The work of the Holy Spirit in lifting up Christ before the eyes of your fellow men. With that in mind, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Our sermon title today is a martyr's ministry. I'll try to define that word, martyr, in just a moment. But first, let your eyes fall. 1 John chapter 5. Verse one, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Verse one, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ not with water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. Verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God, has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Verse 11. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. God, thank you for this paragraph. Do not only help us to understand it. And yes, Lord, we beg for that. Help us to apply it. In Jesus name. Amen. Your translation may have been just a little different than mine. And if so, you may not have heard the word testify, testimony. But in the translation I read, that word in its verb and noun form occurs nine times in those 12 verses. In fact, it occurs nine times between verses 6 and 10. Nine times. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Five verses. Nine times. It shows up in the verb form. Testify which is the Greek word martyreo in verse 6, 7, and 9. It shows up in the noun form martyria, which is translated in the one I read in the New American Standard as testimony, three times in verse 9, two times in verse 10, and one time in verse 11. Again, that's a total of nine times that a derivation of the word "martyr." is used in verses 6-11, hence the title of our sermon, A Martyr's Ministry. Many of you have probably heard the word martyr before today. I was walking to church with my 11 and 9-year-old this morning and I asked them if they've ever heard the word martyr. I was hoping they would say yes, because we read a big chunk of the Fox's Book of Martyrs at our dining room table, uh, kitchen table, over the last year. Yes, they'd heard the word martyr. I said, do you know what it means? Well, many of you have likely heard that word before as well. And if so, in your mind, you likely have something close to the dictionary definition of the English word for martyr in your mind. Merriam-Webster Dictionary says, a martyr is, in its noun form, a person who voluntarily suffers death as the penalty to witnessing to and renouncing, uh, refusing to renounce their religion. Death because you are a witness to your religion. Death because you refuse to renounce your religion. They also say in its noun form, Merriam-Webster, a person who sacrifices something of great value and especially life itself for the sake of principle. A proverbial hill to die on? Well, if you physically die, you would be a martyr. That's its noun form. In its verb form, the dictionary says twofold. Number one, to put to death for adhering to a belief. It is to kill another person. You martyr them because of what they believe. Or number two, you inflict agonizing pain on them through torture. That is to martyr somebody. Do you know that the Bible teaches that the God of the universe has preordained a certain finite, specific number of Christians to be killed for their faith? He doesn't fall off his throne when Christians get killed for loving Jesus and telling others about him. It's part of his plan. And we shouldn't be shocked by that because the same fate happened to the most important person who ever walked the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was squarely in the crosshairs of God's plan. Now I'm going to lose my voice if I do that too much more. Listen to Revelation 6, which speaks of that type of martyrdom. Christians being killed for their faith, fitting perfectly into God's sovereign plan. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Revelation 6 says that God does not stop being in control when his servants are killed for their faith in Jesus. Christians dying any other way is not martyrdom. Biblical martyrdom is, if you will not, will not renounce Christ, we will kill you. And you say, like Andrew Fox's Book of Martyrs, oh beloved cross How have I been so privileged to be able to embrace the instrument upon which my Savior died? Revelation 6. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. And because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Do you hear that prayer? Right now in heaven, people who have, died, who have died for their faith in Jesus are saying, When are you going to pay them back, O God? The next verse. There was given to each of them a white robe and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. You understand that passage, right? God says, I'm not going to pay them back yet because there's some more people who have to die for Jesus before all this stuff is wrapped up. And he goes back to get his bride. So I want to ask you a very earnest question today. You probably didn't come expecting this one, but buckle thy seatbelt. Who's ready to sign up? I'm serious as I can be. Uh, Who's ready to become a martyr? I'm not asking you to embrace a martyr complex. I'm not asking you to prefer death physically to life physically or some premature departure from this life through some torturous death for Christ. But I do want to remind you that when the Apostle Paul's face was lacerated and blood was pouring out of the pores of his head and they left his body beside the road outside of Pisidian Antioch in Acts 14 and they thought he was dead because they had stoned him. Grown men picked up bricks and hit him in the face. He got up, went straight back into the church at Antioch. Next verse, the next verse. And he appointed elders in the church. He basically said, if any of you are willing to go through that, I now know you're ready to pastor God's flock. Who wants to sign up? I'm asking you today, who's ready to sign up? We live a creature comfort life, friends. I'm going to say it clearly and boldly. I believe that it's true, though I don't know all your specific circumstances, so come tell me afterward if I've mistakenly said this. I do think this is accurate. Zero of us have ever been persecuted for our faith. Minimal inconvenience is not Christian persecution. How can you become a martyr? What would the marks of a martyr's life be? Well, today we're going to be talking about that from the way the New Testament uses that word. We're not talking about Merriam Webster. We're not talking about dictionary definitions. We're talking about Bible definitions. And the New Testament uses the word martyr, I said in our passage, nine times. And it translates it witness or testimony. Three points. I'll be conscious of the heat, let's go together, we got work to do. Verse one, four, and five show us the marks of a Christian martyr's birth. How do you know a Christian martyr has been born? Well, verse one, verse four, verse five, give us the answer. We read that a moment ago. I'll try to point your attention to it. But first, let me give you an illustration that you can all relate to or be aware of. By this point, everybody in the surrounding tri-state area knows that the I-40 bridge, about three-quarters of a mile from here, is shut down over the Mississippi. The result is that everything is slowing down. And some of you experienced that this morning. And several of our members were not able to make it today to gather with us for worship because of, of that bridge shutdown. Not only is the bridge closure slowing down vehicular traffic. It took my family three hours Thursday afternoon to go five miles. Not only is it slowing down vehicular traffic, but it's also slowing down a lot of stuff like the economy. Cargo transport, 18 wheelers, semi trucks. You guys run into them all the time on I-40. West Memphis, Arkansas is reportedly the truck stop capital of the world. Cargo transport is being delayed significantly. Companies are losing lots of money because of the crack in that bridge. Now I want you to imagine this. The semi trucks that are now sitting in that line as we speak backed up for miles across the I-55 bridge waiting three plus hours to go five miles on some occasions only to realize when those semis reach their intended destination it is discovered by the warehouse crew that the driver pulled an entirely empty trailer from port A to port B. Then imagine the receiving port calling the shipping port, asking why they would be so dumb as to waste an empty trailer being sent across the country only to be told by the shipping distributor that they sent the empty truck because they were out of stock of the merchandise of the receiver, that the receiver ordered but the truck was already scheduled to go so they sent it anyway that'd be stupid right here's the point and i've used the illustration before so some of you can finish it in your mind already you cannot export what you do not possess do you want to know the main reason People do not tell other people about Jesus. There's a lot of reasons. Do you want to know the main one? He has not taken up residence in your heart. The apostles said when they saw Jesus risen from the dead, We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And if you meet the risen Jesus, you won't be able to stop either. You cannot export what you don't possess. Jesus said just because you go on a mission trip halfway around the world, that doesn't make you a missionary. He said, in fact, you can make people twice as much a son of hell as yourself. There are many insufficient reasons to be silent about Jesus. Note, I said insufficient. There are no good reasons to be silent about Jesus. None. Fear of man, thinking you don't have the perfect words to say. We could go on. But the main reason, the main reason that people don't share Christ with those around us who are headed to a hellish eternity is because they don't know him to be a martyr for Christ, which means to testify or be a witness. That's the way our text uses that word martyria. You're simply telling each you're telling other people about a person who ran away to heaven with your heart. Did you know we're all evangelists There's no more excuse in Christendom for I'm not a good evangelist. Yes, you are. You all talk about whatever you love. So do I. You're evangelizing all the time. So are your pagan co-workers telling you about their carnal escapades last weekend. They're evangelizing you. They're telling you about what they love. And when the Lord Jesus runs away to heaven with your heart, what do you think your mouth would do? You're simply talking about one you love. You're telling other lame sinners like Mephibosheth, Saul's family member who got to sit at King David's table. You're telling them that they can find gospel bread at the table of the King of Kings because you found gospel bread there. So before we talk about a Christian martyr's message, his witness, we first want to make sure that we're someone who knows the Messiah. I love you so much. I told three people this morning I'm burdened for them. I love you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I hope you know that even though I'm a weird individual. My passion comes out in all kind of weird ways. I love you. Your pastors love you. We love you because we love Jesus. We want you to be beautified with the beauty of Christ. We want the aroma of Christ, 2 Corinthians 2, to just ooze off your life everywhere you go. That's the benefit of the Christian life. I'm going to ask you a blood-earnest question. Have you been born again? New life. The Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of you. Fixing the eyes of your inner man on Jesus, to whom the Spirit loves to look, who He loves to exalt. Have you been born again? Those of us who have professed to be Christians for a long time I want to ask you another blood earnest question in direct connection to have you been born again? This is not guilt. This is called obedience. This is not legalism. This is Christianity. Have you ever told another human being the gospel message? Oftentimes, and some of you were once like this, Oftentimes the best evangelists are brand new Christians because they don't know any better than that they're supposed to tell everybody else about Jesus too. And do you want to know what the, one of the greatest detriments to new Christians is? Older Christians. People who've gotten lukewarm and backslidden in their faith and then new Christians start spending time with older Christians and they say, oh, well, I guess I'm just supposed to complain about everything now for the rest of my life. God help us. Spiritually lazy Christians try to fix wide-eyed, zealous new Christians and we believe that we can do it in no time flat, transforming them into a closed-lip, complain about everything else, curmudgeon. That's not the Christian life, friends. I'm not saying that if you have never shared the gospel with someone else then you're not a Christian. Did you hear that sentence? I am not saying that. I am saying that's a problem. And God is big and gracious, and he can empower you to remedy that problem. I'm saying it is amazing what getting saved will do for your evangelism. And maybe the reason you haven't told others is because you yourself have not been born again. I'll show you very quickly. Point number one the three ways that the new birth is connected to what I'm talking about. Marks of a Christian martyr's birth. Verse one, do you see how it reverses the order? How do you know you've been born of God? New birth. Answer verse one, believe Jesus is the Christ. That's how to be born again. If you're wondering, what's he talking about? New birth. That's what I mean. Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. Without whom, you cannot be right with God. This is huge. Faith in the Messiah is the only right response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, verse 1, believe Jesus is the Christ, is the aftermath, the fruit of being born again. God makes you alive spiritually. You start to breathe. Your breath is, oh, I believe in Jesus. That he's the Christ. John does not mean mental assent. Some of you think, oh yeah, of course I believe Jesus is the Christ. I read the Gospels. He does not mean mental assent. He does not mean acknowledge. That's not belief in John's vernacular. We're walking through the Gospel of John as a church. I encourage you to come back next Sunday. We'll pick back up there, Lord willing. And the Gospel of John, we've made it through chapter 8, says that if you believe, you will live. That's what we're talking about. The new birth, life, manifests itself in the embrace of Christ by faith. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. The second part of that, the marks of a Christian martyr's birth, is also in verse 1. If you're born of God, there's the new birth, new birth. you see it in verse 1? You will love the child born of the Father. Use this. Where's our... We good? Okay, sounds good. If you're born of God, you with me? You will love... Do you see it in verse 1? The child born of the Father. Do you see that? I'm not making this up. So I got another very serious question for you. Which Christians do you not like? Which Christians do you prefer not to be around? Unless, of course... They acquiesce to everything you think about everything. If you can fix them, they're welcome to your club. I'm talking about genuine, regenerate, belong to God. You'll spend eternity with them forever Christians. I'm not talking about name only. What Christians do you hate? John is saying you can't be born again if that's who you are. The marks of a martyr's birth is you love the children of God. When Paul sat down to write his magisterial letter to the Ephesians. Do you know how he opened it? I thank God, Ephesians 1:15 and 16, that you have faith in the Lord Jesus and you love all the saints. Is that true of us? Is Grace Church known by that? You love all Christians. You love them with Christ's love. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, He opened his letter by saying we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ and the love which you have for all the saints. It's normal for people who are born into Christ's family to love people born into Christ's family. It's not only normal. It's absolutely certain. So do you love Christians? First is, are you born again? Second is, do you love Christians? Third, it's in verse four overcoming the world victorious over the world by faith. You see in verse four, that I'm not making up that this shows that you're born of God. The new birth manifests in victory over the world, overcoming the world. Same thing in verse five. If you believe Jesus is the son of God, we told us in verse one, that that lets you know you're born again. So verse five says, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the result will be you overcome the world. So faith in the risen Jesus is the means by which newborn Christians overcome the world. That's right there in verse four and five. Colin Cruz wrote in his commentary on this verse. This can no doubt in the present context mean this. The world means, quote, worldly attitudes or values that are opposed to God. That's what world means. Overcome the world means worldly attitudes and values that are opposed to God. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Friends, chill out. No Christian will ever be deceived. Ever. We've talked about that here already in a previous sermon from the Gospel of John where God, Jesus said it's impossible for the elect to be deceived. He's even going to cut the end time short so that no elect persons ever deceived. It will not happen we can chill out and trust god because whoever's born of god to quote cruz means they will overcome worldly attitudes and values that are opposed to god they may not be perfect at step 1 they may not be as mature as you they may need some help and be disciple just like somebody loved you and helped you and helped you grow in your faith see error and truth darkness and light but you know what we're doing today we're shooting our wounded. We're kicking our lame. That's an anti-Christian. You've got to help your brothers and sisters overcome worldly values and attitudes that are opposed to God. And if you just want to be in an echo chamber, tribalistic, cliquish groups that all believe the same stuff and think it's courageous to tell everybody what you believe when you're only talking to people who totally agree with you, that's killing you. It's absolutely eviscerating your faith. Why don't you get close to somebody who doesn't agree with you on every little jot and tittle and walk together in Christian love, helping one another overcome the world, its values and its attitudes that are opposed to God. John's already explained what he means by the world. You can just skip back. If you have your Bible open to chapter two, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and all its lust. but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So what are the marks of the new birth? How do we know we're a martyr, a witness to Christ who's been truly born again? Verse 1, we believe Jesus is the Christ. Verse 1, we love all the children who are born of him. In verses four and five, we overcome the world by faith, keeping our eyes on Christ. It's all plural in 1 John. We don't do it by ourselves. We do it in a community of faith. Number two, not only marks of a Christian martyr's birth, but the mark of a Christian martyr's heart. There's one of these given in this passage. It's in verse four. The mark of a Christian martyr's heart. We're talking about your insides, your spiritual guts. The mark of a Christian martyr's heart, verse 4, is you love God and keep his commandments, which proves, do you see the way the logic works in verse 4? Proves your love to God. Verse 4 reads, First John 5, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, pardon me, verses two and three, verses two and three. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Now notice the logic of verse three, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You guys understand the logic of that verse. It's amazing. It's so free. It's so beautiful. It's just laden with the gospel of, of Christ and what he's done for us. Verse 3 is clearly saying not if you keep his commandments, God will love you. Verse 3 is clearly saying if God loves you, you will keep his commandments. That's the mark of a Christian martyr's heart. I know how much he loves me. His commandments are not burdensome. He ran away to heaven with my heart. I just want to obey him. Obedience to the Christian, again, is not legalism. It's Christianity. Christianity. He has prepared good works for us so that we would walk in them, Ephesians 1.10. The evidence of all the theology of the New Testament epistles, doctrine in the first half, is evidenced in the action, the practice of the second half. Every New Testament epistle is set up that way. Doctrine, application, doctrine, application. If you've got all the right theology and no application, John is saying that's a mark that shows you don't know God's love. Verse three, this is the love of God. What is that we obey? This is how we know we're loved by God. We love to obey him. So I go back to evangelism. Do you love to obey? Do you love to obey? Now, listen, let me be as clear as I can. I stink at evangelism. I mean that this isn't I hope it's not false humility. I hope it's not self-deprecating humor. There are so many times I say, God, please forgive me. You just flung the door wide open and I did not open my mouth. I am so sorry. Help me. I want to say something so that we all understand. If you and I fail to evangelize, it does not mean they won't get saved. All it means is if they're going to be saved, God's going to raise up somebody else in our place who will tell them. So if we don't evangelize, we lose, not God. He's sovereign. He wants to use you. He loves to use you. He intends to use you. He has enough grace to grow you from where you're at to where you should be. He'll walk you step by step in faithfulness with Christ. If you'll follow him, he will make you fishers of men. But if you will not tell others God will still save people, you just won't be the instrument that he uses. So some of y'all are thinking, like I said, man, all y'all's evangelism strategies are D-minuses. You might think that's an optimistic uh, assessment. I, I realize they're not impressive, they're not, they're not good. You know, Open your grill, invite some friends, share the gospel. Grill and gospel, yeah, that's pretty snazzy. It's called invite people to your life and tell them about Christ. Let's pray for lost people, let's invite folks to church, let's read through the gospel of Mark with people who've never read the Bible. Let's help them follow Jesus. But this is what I wanna to say to you. I think you can tell I'm fired up about all this. It's because I fear that we're on the fast track to becoming the church that needs to be revitalized. The the church of Ephesus in Revelation who lost their first love. Because if we know God loves us, we'll love to keep his commandments and they won't be burdensome. So this is what I want to say about everybody who thinks our evangelism strategies are bunk. I don't disagree, but I love what D.L. Moody said. D.L. Moody was constantly criticized for his evangelistic methods. That's stupid. Who would believe you? Why are you doing it that way? You know what Dale Moody said? I like the evangelism I do way better than the evangelism you don't do. Just tell people about Jesus. His commands are not burdensome. It's evidence that you know God loves you. He ran away to heaven with your heart. You love to tell other people about him. You can't stop speaking about what you've seen and hurt. One of his commandments that's repeated in the Old Testament and reemphasized repeatedly in the New Testament, make known his deeds among the nations. Go tell everybody Christ is Lord. I moved to uptown Memphis, Tennessee, I said this 15 years ago, to plant a flag. That's why I'm here. And one day, Soon I'll have a burial plot somewhere close to here. But I'm here for one reason, to plant a flag. And the flag says, Jesus is Lord. That's, that's why I'm here. Some of you may need to be born again today. I went on a bass fishing trip with a guy who wanted to take me. I've never been on a professional. I don't know if it's professional. We hired a professional. We. He hired a professional. This guy pulls up in his fancy bass fishing boat, cost who knows how many thousands of dollars. He had, no joke, 22 fishing poles already rigged up to take us out on the lake to, to go bass fishing. I know it's hot, so I'll spare you the details of a lot of the story. But on those poles, he had them all rigged up different. He had braided line, there was a certain pound test, to cut through the weeds by the bank as we pulled the worm through. He had something for you, good old country folk, uh, Carolina rigging uh, with a leader on it and a weight and a different bait on the end of that and we did that in the deep parts and rocks and blah, 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 blah. And he just constantly handed us different poles. We fished for 12 hours and I caught three fish. It was hotter on that lake than it is outside and in this gym. I was burning up. No shade, no breeze, hot, three fish. I cast, I estimate, I estimate that I cast multiple hundreds of times with no bite, no evidence that there's even a fish in the lake. Why didn't we just stop casting if I threw it out there one time and didn't catch anything? Because the goal is to get fish in the boat and everybody knows instinctively they're not gonna just jump in there. Nor are they gonna swim up beside the boat and say, hey man, this is what the, this is what the country guide said. Why don't we try that, uh, that chartreuse and glitter? It's like, he's talking about a worm a certain color. It's like, sounds good, man. Let's try the chartreuse and glitter. You understand that the first time you tell somebody the gospel, it's actually unlikely that they'll believe. The average Christian, it's been reported, hears the gospel hundreds of times before they believe. Keep throwing your line in the water. But unlike those 22 poles that are all rigged different ways with different baits, I can hear his voice right now. I got this topwater frog. <laughs> okay, you got a bunch of different baits. Great, we'll try the topwater frog. There's no multiplicity of baits in the, Christian, in the Christian caste. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Get your grill. Do your host for holiness. Pray for some lost people. Get the Gospel of Mark. Do whatever you're going to do. Walk after church for 30 minutes one day over the next three months and just tell somebody about Christ. But there's only one bait. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Gospel. Some of you need to be born again. And if you want to get saved... I'm not an easy believism guy for those of you who don't know me. I repudiate. I repudiate diminishing the mighty work of Jesus on the cross. There's my introduction. You can get saved right now and I'm going to tell you how. I'm not talking about easy believism. If you will acknowledge right now, you don't even have to bow your head or close your eyes. If you will acknowledge to God right now that you are a sinner who deserves hell and you cannot save yourself. If you will repent right now of your sin, all your self-centeredness, and that heretofore, up to this point of your life, you used every breath to defy Him. If you'll repent of that, you'll tell God, I have spurned you my entire life and I am sorry. If you will believe in your heart that Christ His glorious Son died for your sins, that He rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven where He now reigns, and from whence He will soon come to save His people forever. If you'll believe in the risen Jesus and confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth before a local church. Hey, all you people who God shouldn't have saved, guess what He did? He saved me too. I give Jesus my life. I give Him my heart. I give Him everything. If you can't do that in this room, You think you're going to do it out there with a bunch of people who hate Jesus? That's why we're supposed to confess Jesus as Lord in here. Every single Christian has done that. No exceptions. History of the world. Every Christian, every Christian has said publicly, Jesus Christ is Lord. You can get saved right now. And if that gospel message penetrated your heart, I encourage you to come tell me right after this service what you believe God is doing in you. Here's the final point. We've looked at the marks of a Christian martyr's birth. By martyr, again, we mean witness, testimony, testifier. We've looked at the marks of a Christian martyr's heart. He loves to obey God's commands because he knows how much God loves him. Finally, verse 6 to 12 the message of a Christian martyr's lips. We do two things. I've done it, this message, a bunch of times already. The message of a Christian martyr's lips, two things. You repeat to mankind the witness to Jesus that came from heaven. And you repeat to mankind the witness to Jesus that happened on earth. From heaven and from earth, the witness to Jesus to be a Christian martyr, a Christian witness, somebody who testifies faithfully to Jesus, you repeat to mankind what heaven says about him and what earth said about him. First, what heaven says about him. Verse 8 Repeat to mankind the witness to Jesus from heaven. This is what Christian martyrs say. Christian witnesses say. Verse 6 to 8 says, The water, the spirit, and the blood testify to Jesus. Colin Chris in his commentary quote, This is a very difficult text to interpret. No kidding. It is a very difficult text to interpret. There's a lot of views on this. I'm not exactly sure which one is right. I'll just tell you the one I think. Summary is, some think this refers to the birth of Jesus, born by water and blood. Virgin birth, through Mary's womb, there was water. A woman's water breaks. It's a blood ordeal. Some think that's what this refers to. Some think that this refers only to Jesus' baptism. When he went under the water and the spirit came down and Descended on him and testified to his lordship. There's a lot of views. The one that I think is most compelling is the witness from heaven at the baptism, the crucifixion, and the day of Pentecost. Water, blood, spirit. At his baptism, the Lord Jesus identified himself with his people and validated himself as the Messiah in God's presence, the Father spoke, this is my son. Unequivocally, no mistake, Jesus is the divine son. The Father said so. The testimony of water. Blood, of course, the cross. Some think that this passage refers to the cross explicitly because John said in John chapter 19, verse 34, that when the soldiers pierced Jesus' side, what flowed out? Water and blood. So some think this is a re- reference only to the cross. But I would say, I think John's saying, At the baptism of Jesus, heaven said, this is my son. At the cross of Jesus, heaven said, this is the Savior. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church so that every Christian would be a witness to Christ. What happened after the day of Pentecost? Every Christian started telling all sorts of people from all the places they're from about Jesus. This is the message of a Christian martyr's lips. We say what heaven says about Jesus. You may disagree with Jordan. I'm okay with that. Being rejected when you share the gospel, they're not rejecting you. You've heard that. They're rejecting God. That's immaterial. My job is not to be fruitful. It's to be faithful. And so as we tell the gospel and we just repeat what heaven says about Jesus, some will believe, but we may cast 500 times and catch three fish. That's actually very normal. In extraordinary seasons, God saves more rapidly. But I'll also tell you something else that happens. When a few people get saved at the same time, there tends to be a rash of conversions because people get a taste of the Spirit of God and His power and start telling more people more courageously and faithfully. So the testimony of a Christian martyr's lips, we say what heaven says about Jesus, He is the Savior who died for our sins and rose again. Finally, we repeat the testimony of Jesus that came from earth. Look at verse 11 and 12, what John says about Jesus. Verse 11, God has given us eternal life in his son. Verse 12, if you have the son of God, you have life. If you don't have the son of God, no life. This tells us that salvation is a person not a thing. When God saves you, He doesn't give you something outside of Himself, grace. He doesn't sprinkle pixie dust of mercy on you. That's not salvation. Verse 11-12, and 12, salvation is a person. How do you know you're saved? How do you know you have life eternal? You have the Prince of Life. You have God's Son. You love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's given us this life, verse 11, in His Son. Therefore, verse 12, if you do not have the Son of God, you do not have life. Many people, you guys know this, have been to church their whole life. Many have had religious experiences galore and don't have the Son. Others who have had less blessed experiences hear of the Son of God, embrace Him fully by faith, and sputter along in their Christian walk. God graciously in every saint. Sanctifying every true Christian. But if this one has the son. They have life. And if this one has a lot of religion. And no son. They don't have life. At Grace Church we're unashamed to say. We glorify God one primary way. Treasuring Jesus Christ. God's not jealous. The father is not jealous. When we glorify the son. He's honored by that. He sent the Holy Spirit so that Jesus would be raised in our esteem as high as is possible. And I just want to tell you right now, I don't know everything about you and your walk with the Lord. And I mean me too. None of you are impressed enough with Jesus. None of us have a high enough esteem of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we who are in him and have him, oh, oh, we want to love him more. We want to grow in our affection for him and our obedience to him. So I brought up here two things. Because he who has the son has the life. And if you don't have the son of God, you don't have life.
1: This red one, maroon, is
0: the gospel of Mark. This black one is the gospel of John. There's extra copies on the table back there. They're not for your bookshelf. Almost all of them were taken last week. That thrills me. They're not for your bookshelf. They're for lost people with whom you will read fold the first third of pages say hey read this much and then let's get together for lunch my treat and let's talk about it fold the next third read this much let's get together next month and talk about it god willing in a couple weeks tracy and i'll have that very talk with the person for whom we prayed we handed them this maroon one the gospel of mark they live three blocks that way and we said will you guys just read through this with tracy and i Mark it up, put question marks in it, star things, underline things. Whatever you got a question about, you mark it up. Come to our house, let's have dinner, and we'll talk about it. And they said, Really? Like, you would do that? They didn't say, Forget you, who do you think you are? Take these, because this tells us who the Son of God is. And if you don't have Him, you don't have life. Not the Jesus of your imagination, the Jesus of God's Word. So take these and use them. Take these little cards. Write your phone number on it. Hand it to the person that's cutting your hair, unless it's Daniel. <laughs> Say, call me. If you got questions about Christianity, come to our church, worship with us. If you do decide to show up, text me at that number. Come have lunch with me after church that day. We would love to have you. Because if people don't have the Son of God, they don't have life. Forget summer of spreading. Let's just call it Christianity. If you don't have the Son of God, you don't have life. Join me as we pray. We're about to sing a gospel confession. And that's what I want to challenge you to make your prayer. It's an ancient Christian creed. It's an ancient Christian confession. And we're going to sing it. But as it's being sung, you're totally welcome to remain seated and keep your mouth closed. You don't have to sing out loud. I do want to encourage you to make this song your prayer. Some may stand. Some may remain seated. Some may sing aloud. Some may pray privately. The lyrics of this song are meant to be our prayer. Oh, God. Thank you for your son. An amazing sentence that we can say. Thank you for your son. Thank you for not withholding your son, your only son, so that we can become sons and daughters in your family. Use us, Lord, to lead other people to Christ. What a joy, what a thrill, what an honor. We don't feel worthy, Lord, but we know we're commanded and it's our joy to obey. For Christ's sake, would you use us? And I pray that we'll have a good problem on our hands very soon. A bunch of brand new, born again believers in Jesus who need to be discipled in the faith. Give us a good problem, Lord, so that everybody has to start stepping up and pouring into others and then repeating the process. Lord, I pray that our church will get too big to be one and we'll have to plant others because you just keep saving people left and right. I pray that you'll save the people that In this city that nobody else wants. That you'll make us go after the least likely, the most sinful, the most egregiously uh, carnal. Help us, God, to believe that you can save anybody, anytime, anywhere. And use us. Use us, God, to be ambassadors, to be martyrs of Christ. Witnesses, testimonies to the Lord Jesus. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name.